Sobriety is a good thing, but guess what? You being sober now does not atone for your lack of sobriety in the past. It's just that you've made a good positive change. See, you have to ask yourself, is your goal in life to live a life that's better than what you're used to, hoping that that makes you right with God, or are you receiving the free gift of salvation that comes from Jesus? In today's message, Pastor Daniel will remind you that there's absolutely nothing you can do that will erase your past or atone for every sin that you've committed. No person can get to heaven on their own. No personal form of salvation will work. The only way is Jesus. He's taken the punishment your sins call for. He's offering to stand in for you before the judgment throne of God. He's the key to being free from your sin forever. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Romans chapter 10 as he begins his message, Salvation Explained. So life is completely full of plot twists, aren't they? I mean, if you think about no matter what stage you find yourself in at life, if you look, try and look like two years down the road, you realize you have no clue what's going to go on next. Like, you have your ideas about it, but then there's what actually happens. Like, I think about my own life, you know, in college. I would never have guessed uh, when I was in my late teens that by the end of college, my mom would have passed away. Like, that just wasn't part of the plan. Or by the time I graduated college, you know, many of you know that my career uh, choice and my the arc of my life was with music, and I was playing music professionally. And if you would have told me when I was getting out of college, and no, I'm not a singer, that they don't let me sing on the worship team, I'm a bass player, holla. As I always like to remind everyone, bass is the bacon of music. Yeah. And so um, that's just a side note. You can write that down and impress your friends later. You know, I, I would never have guessed that I would end up as a pastor. I mean, that just like was not like part of like the plan, even at all. I mean, you know, when I was graduating before I, I came to know Jesus right at the end of college, so the idea that that would have been uh, what God was doing was just completely came out of left field, you know, growing up in New Jersey in a, in a kind of an, a non-spiritual family in that way. I remember when I left music and I went into the ministry. I remember my aunt came out to visit because she thought that I was in a cult. I kid you not. Because literally, it was like my, 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 my family really didn't like the fact that I was a professional musician for a career. And the one thing that I became after that was a pastor, which they thought was way worse. So they could, they could have been okay with the, being a professional musician, being a pastor. Hold on a second. You know? And then, of course, you know, there's those ideas about who you're going to marry. Right. And so what's funny is, is that like, if you were to ask me five years before Lynn and I met and got married, that would, would I marry Lynn? The answer would have been no. Not, and not because she's not amazing. She's extraordinary. But in a, per, if you took a personality test and me and Lynn have taken all those, me and Lynn are completely opposite on everything. Like my strengths are the things that she doesn't have any of. And her strengths, I'm like on the other end of it. 
It's really kind of freaky. And so I remember when we got married, I should have known that this was going to happen anyway. But when we were planning our wedding service, you know, our, our, our ceremony, you know, we had like a pretty significant negotiation over the music. Now, what I didn't know at the time, and, and you have to ask Lynn about how God brought us together, because Lynn and I, God brought us together, and we didn't know each other all that well, and I was just smart enough to put a ring on her finger before she realized what she was buying. And so we were trying to choose songs, and, and there's songs that I liked, and there's songs that she liked, and, and ultimately she won out almost entirely, except for one song that was like I really pushed for. But I remember like after we got married and, and we're living in, you know, we're living together and I remember she came home one day and I had my music on. Now I'm, so I'm a musician, right? And so, and my favorite type of music is jazz, but not like the type of jazz that you like. Like, you know, some of you remember Chuck Mangione and stuff, all that real happy jazz. Not like, like real jazz, like where there's tension and there's exploration. See, everyone's looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. So, so I remember Lynn came home and I had the music on and she kind of walked in. She's like, is everything okay? And I'm like, everything's great. She's like, why are you listening to noise right now? And I'm like, that's not noise. That's music. And she's like, not music like anything I've ever heard before. And I remember saying to her, I'm like, well, what kind of music do you like? And what I realized is that if you know my bride, Lynn, She's like one of the nicest, happiest people ever. So Lynn's music is real, like, snappy, like, super happy, like, you know? And, like, my music is, like, I'm like, yeah, man, that's, like, weird. Like, and, and, and so, so I was so funny that I started to realize, I'm like, oh, this poor girl. Like, Lynn would prefer silence to even happy music. But then she's got the music that I like, you know? And, and, but it was just, like, a unique plot twist. So, so literally yesterday for Mother's Day, I'm like, it's almost Mother's Day, and we're going to celebrate you. So I put on the happiest music I can find. I'm like, this is your music. And she's like, it totally is. I had to search for it, you know? Like, I didn't even know what to put on. But, but, but she loves this really happy music. And I, and I like happy music, but I like music that's kind of, you have to think about it for a little while. And so, but it was just like a unique plot twist of life, how this thing all works together. Now, here's the thing. I'm bringing this up because we all realize that the journey of our lives have all sorts of turns that they take. Things that you expect that don't happen, things that you don't expect do happen, things that you expect that happen, and then they turn out differently than you thought that they would. Or you have all these things that go on, and then we have all these unique personality differences, different ways that people approach life. Approach to where, like, my bride and I, we, you know, if we always joke that, that if you were to ask each one of us what should happen next, we would always tell you the opposite of what the other would say. And, and it's a beautiful thing because she views life one way and I view it, but God has put us together and then we, we learn how to, how do we do this together? And we, and we learn to enjoy the insanity of it in some ways. But no matter what your personality is and no matter how many plot twists life has happened, there's one thing that is common of all of us that no matter where you come from, everybody actually needs the exact same thing. And I want to share that with you today. So in order to do this, I want you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 10, Romans 10. We're going to take verses 1 to 13 in Romans 10 as we continue our plot twist series. I want you to be able to read along. And as I always say, because we live in a digital world, many of you are like, man, I don't need to bring a book with me. I got a phone. Praise God. Open your phone. Turn that thing on. Open up your favorite browser window. Type in Romans 10 verses 1 to 13. And if you're looking for the the text in your Bible, you have to realize that your Bible is broke up into almost 
you know, two thirds, almost three quarters of the Bible from the book of Genesis to the book of Malachi is everything that happened before the life of Jesus. And then you have that last about quarter of the Bible or third of the Bible, which we call the New Testament. So yeah, and the New Testament, yeah, first you have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have the book of Acts. And then you have the book of Romans, Paul's, uh, one of his longest letters, most of his most well-known letter. And, you know, it's always important we remind you that 10 still exist between 9 and 11. So you find that. I realize things are fluid in our culture, but numbers have not yet gotten there. Wouldn't that be awesome, though? One day we're gonna get, you're going to get pulled over for speeding. But like, I wasn't speeding. 85 is 55 in my heart. <laughs> Doesn't that sound awesome? <laughs> That's really good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember that. I just came up with that. so good. Okay, anyway, jumping in. Says this, Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, remember I said that no matter what your personality is, no matter what your details are, everyone needs the same thing. It's simply this, that all must be saved by Jesus. And then I make the point, even Israel. There's one thing that everybody needs. Everybody needs to be saved by Jesus. And in context here, I say even Israel. And I want to unpack that for you because I realize that even saying that in this day and age is kind of offensive. There's some of you right now are like, oh man, why am I here at church with my parents? This is lame. I need to be saved by Jesus. Come on. Here's the deal. Everybody needs the exact same thing because everybody has the exact same problem, although the problem plays out in different ways. And it's simply this. We all have the exact same problem as the fact that none of us have ever lived up to our fullest potential. There's not one of us, right? And the problem is not only that you haven't lived up to your fullest potential as an individual, your ideas of your fullest potential are still not the standard you're trying to live up to. Because the Bible teaches that there is a standard that God has for each one of us. And that standard... Because we don't live up to our own potential and our own standards, God's standard is way more stringent and more perfect because God is perfect. And so all of us have what the Bible calls a problem with sin. And not just that we commit sins, is that we have a nature that desires to live differently than we ought to live. And every single one of us has the same problem. I've never met a person who, I mean, there's some people who are like me, like you're snarky, like, does anybody here think that they've never made a mistake in their life? And I would always be the guy who raised my hand and everything, like, ah, me, definitely, you know? But then, of, of course, it's easy to do that. But then on further reflection and questioning, you realize that nobody's lived up to their fullest potential, not in their own definitions or not in God's definition, right? The Bible calls that sin. And God's way of fulfilling the needs of someone who is broken is to send Jesus on a rescue mission. And when somebody puts their faith and trust in Jesus, that's called being saved. That word literally means to be bought back from slavery, right? And really what the Bible teaches unequivocally is that all must be saved by Jesus. 
Everybody must. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter if you're an introvert or if you're an extrovert. It doesn't matter what number you are on the Enneagram or what your letters are on your Myers Briggs or, or what your educational attainment is or your, or your goals for life. Doesn't matter if you are an athlete or if you just really, your athletics is pressing buttons while you sit in your lazy boy. None of those things, the same thing lands that everybody must be saved by Jesus. And really what the Apostle Paul is saying here, because in this section, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the plot twist in the Bible that what can a person who believes in Jesus trust in God's promises? Because the children of Israel, the Jewish people who had all these promises, they've by and large rejected Jesus as the Messiah. So the question becomes, is that the Jewish people who had all this history with the God of the scriptures, but then they reject Jesus, if that happens, then what happens for us? And the Apostle Paul's been exploring this. And we've seen that the Apostle Paul has a burden for his own countrymen. And that's why he says, brethren, my heart's desire in verse one and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. Now, what I think is really fascinating about what the Apostle Paul is saying here, he's saying, for the Jewish people who have the law of Moses and they have all of this history. Now, and don't miss the fact he's writing this thousands of years ago. He's saying, even though Israel has the law, they still need to be saved. And we live in a day and age where the teachings of the Apostle Paul rubs right up against the way our culture looks at things. So the culture says, well, look, if you're well-meaning in whatever approach to life you choose to take, then God's going to be good with you. All the roads lead up to the top of the mountain. If you want to try and follow the law of Moses, that'll get you up the mountain. If you want to follow Jesus, that'll get you up the mountain. If you want to uh, follow Buddha, that'll get you up the mountain. If you want to follow some guy from California who wrote something, then that guy can get you up the mountain. If you want to follow your own bliss and follow nobody except yourself, that will get you up the mountain. And the thing is, is that's a beautiful sentiment. It just has no bearing in reality. That's like saying, hey, you have cancer, whatever way you try and cure that cancer, you'll be fine. Anybody believe that? I sure hope not. See, you have to realize that good intentions don't actually get you where you want to be. What's that old proverb? The way to hell is paved with what? Good intentions. No one likes that one. So the Bible teaches the only way for a person to be right with God is to put their faith and trust in Jesus because at the cross, Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. For the mistakes that we've made. And that's not only true for everyone else. That's also true for the Jewish people. See, for the Jewish people, the Apostle Paul says that they have a zeal for God. So what's amazing is, is when you look at a world full of different religions and different philosophies and different ways of approaching life, the Apostle Paul gives place for the fact that someone can have a zeal for it, but still be misguided. And Anybody who's ever worked in a company and become proficient in the field, have you met people like that? They have a zeal for it, but they have no clue what they're doing. I was like that when I went into the ministry. I think I'm still like that today, actually. I remember when I started serving at a church many, many, many years ago, I was like your classic, like all guns blazing kind of a guy. I'm a shoot, aim, ready kind of a person, right? You you realize you're supposed to do ready, aim, shoot. I'm like a shooting first and then I'm aiming and then I get ready after it's over. Like that's my personality. And so sure enough, I get to the church and I'm like ready. Let's, we're going to do everything. And I remember the one time my pastor grabbed me and said, so Daniel, what are you doing right now? Man, we're serving Jesus. He's like, no, I'm not really sure that you are right now. 
The zeal was beautiful, but it was misplaced because it wasn't coupled with knowledge. And so somebody can have very strong zeal. You can have a lot of great intentions and great ideas, but it actually needs to be coupled with knowledge. And for the Jewish people, the problem was is that they were ignorant of God's righteousness and their, what they were trying to do was establish their own righteousness not having submitted to the righteousness of God. See, the problem for the Jewish people, which is still very much a problem today, is that people don't want to be shared righteousness from God. They want to do their own thing. I call this a self-salvation plan. Our culture lives with this right now. I mean, if you don't believe me, just watch what's going on in the news right now. What we're trying to do as a culture is we're trying to retroactively woke our society. Like we realize now that a bunch of things that people did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago was wrong. And so because it was wrong, now people who were living back there, now they're trying to retroactively apologize for all the things that did was wrong that they didn't realize was, was wrong. So what they're saying is because I used to be like this kind of a person, but now I'm here, right? Now I need to make atonement. I need to go on the circuit on the news program and apologize for everything that I've done because I didn't really realize what I was doing. See, that's a self-salvation plan. It's in the same way when uh, all these baseball players were busted for steroids. The ones who came out and said, yes, I did it. I'm super sorry. They were forgiven. The ones who wouldn't own it, they're still persona non grata. Our culture lives on a self-salvation plan. That I don't get saved by what God does for me. I get saved by what I do and how I make atonement for the mistakes that I've made. Like, if you have a drug and alcohol background, like I do, for a while until you come to Christ, you say, really what I'm saved by being clean and sober for X number of days. The sobriety is a good thing, but guess what? You being sober now does not atone for your lack of sobriety in the past. It's just that you've made a good positive change. See, you have to ask yourself, is your goal in life to live a life that's better than what you're used to, hoping that that makes you right with God, or are you receiving the free gift of salvation that comes from Jesus? See, the problem for the Jewish people is they refused to receive God's gift of salvation because they wanted to do it themselves. And listen, I remember when I was coming to Jesus, this was my problem because I grew up in a family. It's like, man, you want something? You got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it done. Now, in a lot of ways, that way of living was really good because I don't expect people to do things for me. I'm not like, it, like the whole world exists to roll over, give me a smile and a Twinkie. You know, it's like, it's like that's not why everybody exists. So it's like I have to do a lot of stuff. But what I had to realize was that salvation is nothing that I do. It's something that God has done for me in Christ. And that's why as a church family, this house has always been built on the message of the finished work of Jesus. Because the only way to be saved is to trust in Jesus. Or else you're running into exactly what the children of Israel ran into. Trying to be righteous by what you do as opposed to what God has done for you. And when you seek to save yourself on whatever self-salvation plan you decide you think you want to be on, that makes you an enemy of what God has done. Because you're really what you're saying is it's not what God has done for me. It's what I do. And listen, and if you're here today and you're hearing this, and I realize we always say here at the Crossroads family that people are in every different step of their faith journey. There are people here who have been walking with Jesus for decades and decades. And there's those of you who are here. The reason you're here today is because you get brunch with mom after it. 
You know what I mean? Like, I get that, you know? And there's some of you like, well, that's fine, you know, Fusco. You, you can believe that, but I don't believe that. Listen, here's what I want to tell you. When you are exhausted on your own self-salvation plan, when you finally hit the point when you say, you know what, I've tried everything, I can't get there. I can't live up to my own standards. I'm tired. The people who I'm emulating my life against, I'm seeing their failures, and you're finally just like, man, who can do this for me? Then you need to realize you need to come to Jesus. I would love for that to be today. But at some point, you're going to be tired of trying to save yourself because that is a hamster wheel that never ends. Because you'll never get it done. And many of us can tell you stories of trying to do that kind of stuff. But when you get to the end of you trying to save yourself, you have to realize that God has sent Jesus on a rescue mission to save you. And if you don't believe me, look at what it says, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Wow. He's saying all attempts at our behavior, saving ourselves, Christ is the end of the law. And what's amazing is really in this verse here, that idea, the end, it's in the Greek word, it's the word telos, which stands in the first position in the Greek language. It means it has the emphasis that Christ is the design termination or end, the purpose goal of the law. Every attempt to do the right things to save yourself, Jesus is the finish line of that. And God doesn't want you to live your life on the hamster wheel hoping you've done enough to save yourself. When Jesus was on the cross, he said three simple words in the English, one word in the Greek, and that word is, it is what? Finish. Tetelestai in the Greek language. Jesus is the end. All must be saved by even the children of Israel. Now going on, the apostle Paul begins to quote scriptures to back up his case from the law of Moses. Look what it says, verse five, it says, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is in the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. And so what the apostle Paul does is he begins to put scriptures together to teach us one simple thing, that the scriptures tell the truth. The scriptures tell the truth. See, what the apostle Paul is doing in this entire section, Romans 9, 10, and 11, is he keeps bringing up scriptures from the past. Scriptures from the law. The things that the Jewish people believed already. And what he keeps saying to them is, you know what the problem is? You're reading your Bibles, but you're not reading it the right way. Now, I'll be honest with you, because I realized that for many of us, and when I was coming to know Jesus, my biggest hang-up was the way that the Bible had been used for all sorts of evil things for as long as people understood what was in the Bible. The Bible has been used, to, as I always say, to prove and disprove everything good and evil as long as people have known it. Jesus is There's a standard for living this life that isn't defined by society. It's a level of perfection that your creator expects and that you and every other human being fails to achieve. In today's message, Pastor Daniel wanted you to really grasp and accept that fact. God demands perfection. And knowing you can't live up to that standard, he offered a solution. His own son came to earth to die for you, to save you. 
Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, you can, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances of your life. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will discuss the various ways people try to get to heaven. Do you have a self-salvation plan? Some set of goals or daily practices that you think will save you if you do them long enough? Pastor Daniel will remind you that nothing you do, no plan of action or good intentions can gain you what you're looking for. Only Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross can save you. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, Plot Twist. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.